listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. In this season of Eastertide, the lectionary has us reading these stories of what life in the early church looked like as it was lived in the Spirit and within the light cast by the resurrection, stories from the book of Acts. But because we don't read them in order, and because we only read a relatively small handful of them over these Sundays, it can be easy to miss one of Luke's main points, namely that the circle of resurrection light is widening and widening fast. As Luke tells his stories, you get a sense that these apostles who had only rather recently been a band of hapless disciples straining to understand what Jesus was talking about, well, now, now they're living in a anything-is-possible sort of state of mind. Fasten your seatbelts. This is going to get wild. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up. Go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip got up and went. It's the sort of thing that happens in the book of Acts. Angels appear. People are called to move and to move into strange territories and unexpected situations, and they do. In Philip's case, it moves him into very unexpected territory. Luke describes the road from Jerusalem to Gaza as a wilderness road which among other things means it's potentially quite dangerous. Traveling down that road was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. This man, Luke tells us, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, this is not what you expect to see on a wilderness road. Go talk to him, the spirit prods Philip. And so Philip runs over to the chariot. He runs, which is in keeping with the kind of the wildfire character of these stories. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asks him. How can I? The man replies, unless someone guides me. And at that, he invites Philip to climb up in the chariot beside him to talk scripture. Now, press the pause button for a minute. This man is a court official from Ethiopia. He's in charge of the queen's entire treasury. We're talking serious power and serious privilege He's clearly literate and educated. He's reading from Isaiah, most probably in Greek. And while no mention is made of this specifically, he must have been accompanied by servants. No person of his stature would have risked making that sort of a journey alone. Philip? Well, we know very, very little of him. John tells us that Philip came from the town of Bethsaida in Galilee, which connects him to Andrew and Peter. 
And that along with Nathanael, Philip was one of the very earliest disciples to be called to follow Jesus out on the road. Philip is a Greek name, so he quite probably spoke the language, but he may or may not have been able to read it. To this Ethiopian court official, Philip must have appeared something of a backcountry peasant. He's from Galilee. To Philip, the Ethiopian official must have seemed a most exotic sort of creature, the sort of which he'd never dreamed speaking with, much less climbing up into a chariot to sit beside. And yet, I need a guide to help me. I need help with these words of Isaiah. Come, sit with me. As it happens, the Ethiopian man has been reading one of the suffering servant songs from Isaiah. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb silent before its shearer. So he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And then his question, is the prophet writing of himself or of someone else? You can imagine Philip starting to just about explode. I know that man. I know the lamb Isaiah was talking about. I spent the better part of three years with him. I heard his stories. I heard his teachings. I watched him heal and restore broken people. I was there. I was there the night that they arrested him. The night justice was denied him. Some of our group even saw him put to death. His dead, broken body was placed in a tomb, yet on the third day the stone was rolled away and his body was gone. I've seen him, though. I've seen him alive since. I touched him. I've eaten with him. I watched then as he was taken up to God. But that wasn't the end either. The very Spirit of God has been in us and through us and around us ever since, just as he said it would be. I know the Lamb Isaiah was writing about. In this Galilean peasant, the prestigious court official from Ethiopia has unexpectedly found his guide. Philip's proclamation, his response, is apparently so compelling that when they came to some water, the man said to him, Look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? Well, A couple of things, actually. The man was, in all likelihood, a Gentile. This is all happening before the church has begun to work out its position on the inclusion of Gentiles. Yes, this Ethiopian man had been reading from the prophet Isaiah, and yes, he'd gone to Jerusalem on some sort of a pilgrimage, but as a Gentile, that would have only got him so far. Though it was beginning to expand into Samaria, the Christian movement at this point was still very much a Jewish movement. Can a Gentile become a Christian without first becoming a Jew? Well, there is actually some possibility that the Ethiopian had been born a Jew. For there was a community of Ethiopian Jews. There's a tradition historically unverifiable, but treasured by the Ethiopian Jewish community all the same, 
There's a tradition that the Queen of Sheba carried Judaism back to North Africa after her visit to King Solomon. So maybe this man was part of that community. But there was still a problem, a more critical problem, because this Ethiopian man was a eunuch. As a child, he'd probably shown some particular promise. And so he was castrated, so that as he grew up, he would be a safe and dependable choice to serve as a close and trusted official in the court of the queen, safe particularly in the eyes of the queen's husband, no doubt, but safe. According to the Torah, Deuteronomy 23, that made the man forever an outsider, forever ineligible to be a participant in the life and practices of Israel. Look, here's water. What's to prevent me from being baptized, the eunuch says to Philip. And here's how Philip didn't answer. He didn't say, you know, I better go and talk with Peter about this one. I mean, personally, I'd love to baptize you, but we've not really come across a situation like yours before. Let me do some consulting. And he didn't say, we've not yet worked out our manual of policies and procedures. But I'll tell you what, next time all of us are together in Jerusalem, I'll bring a motion to the council that in extraordinary circumstances we allow for the baptism of eunuchs, conditional on their having completed a study of the servant songs in Isaiah. And he didn't say, Sorry, but I'm afraid that castration thing excludes you from full membership. I can't do it. And he didn't say, All right, I'll do it, but don't tell anybody about it. Let's just keep this all quiet and confidential, just, just between me and you, our little secret. No, Philip said nothing like any of those. In fact, he doesn't seem to have said anything at all. But rather, both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. It's a bit of a freewheeling move for the apostle Philip, but maybe Philip is the sort of freewheeler who does the church a lot of good. Not that there's anything wrong when the council of Jerusalem is eventually assembled and it wrestles through the matter of the full inclusion of Gentiles. That's recounted in Acts 15. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know, maybe part of what let them make that decision to fully include Gentiles without first having them convert to Judaism, part of why they could make that decision as a council was because of experiences like this one. Because Philip came back, he wasn't quiet. He came back and he told the story of what he'd done. Just as Peter didn't keep quiet, wasn't at all secretive in any way when he made the decision to baptize the centurion Cornelius. Peter and Philip both did these unusual, unexpected acts because each believed it was the right thing, the only thing to do in the moment. 
And those radical acts of inclusion helped the body of Christ open its imagination to the new thing that God was doing in the life of the world. Hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. According to the ancient tradition of the Ethiopian church, one of the most ancient churches still in continuous existence, that court official wasn't secretive either. In the Ethiopian Christian tradition, he is seen as the one who brought the gospel into North Africa, the first North African to have been baptized. And he seeded what was eventually to become the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. In that man, a new and unexpected branch is added to the vine, bearing fruit in ways that Philip never could have dreamed of when he first heard the angel tell him, go for a walk, go down that wilderness road from Jerusalem to Gaza and see what you find. Indeed, see what you find when your eyes are open. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church, or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.